0: Welcome to Preston-Minster. Find your home, find your purpose, transform your city. Let's jump into this week's talk. Can I pray with you? Let me pray. Uh, Father, thank you so much for Stephen. Thank you uh, for all that he's brought to the team already. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through all that he has prepared. Give us ears to hear what you are doing. Amen. 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 Hello everyone. As Tim just said, my name is Stephen um, and I have a confession for you. Is this quite echoey? Yeah? Just going to go for it. Okay. So I have a confession for you. I am getting old. I know I look like a sort of fresh-faced 16-year-old, If I'm eyeing up my 30th birthday. It's on May the 9th. You can buy me presents. It's okay. And I'm suddenly, yeah, I'm getting old. I keep finding gray hairs. My knees have started to hurt. They've never done that before. But suddenly, when I'm walking upstairs, my knees hurt a bit. And saddest of all, I've developed a fondness for a fun fact. What I'm telling you is basically I'm becoming my dad. You've never met him, he's great. So for instance, I was really excited to learn this week that Australia is wider than the moon. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Right? Do you know something else? Father Christmas. Well, the man Father Christmas is based on, Saint Nick. You know, famously friendly. Big, soft beard, big belly. Little St. Nick, who brings you presents, is a criminal. He once got so angry with someone that he punched them in the face in the middle of a cathedral in front of the Pope. (laughs) There you go. A little fact. Means absolutely nothing. Isn't relevant to your life. But I also found out this week that apparently it is theologically and biblically accurate to say that God has a really, really, really long nose. And the reason is that in the Old Testament, when people were described as being angry, the sort of way of saying that was that their nose was short, that they had a little nose. Because they believed that sort of anger builds up inside you. It sort of grows and grows and grows and it comes out of your face and you know someone's really, really angry when the tip of their nose is hot. So for God to be slow to be angry, it just means, well the way of saying that is that he has a really long nose. It takes a long time for him to get angry. Quite interesting. Now I know some of you are probably thinking, what is this guy talking about? Wondering if you can have a little word with Tim after the service. Um, But you can't get rid of me, I'm sorry. Um, But I do have a point. I do have a point about that. Because I think it's actually really interesting. It's interesting because it highlights two things. Firstly, it begins to describe a difference between God's anger and ours. How slow it is to build. And secondly, it helps us understand just how physical anger is, that feeling of being overwhelmed, that feeling of it bubbling up and coming out. So last week, last week, Tim kicked off our service, our service, our new series called Words to Build Your Life On. And this week, you'll never guess what word we're looking at. It's anger. It's on the, there you go, Anger. And this is all part of our emphasis this year on going deeper, on going deeper into God's word, into his presence of letting him form us. So our passages over the next few months, they're all coming from uh, the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew, and specifically the Sermon on the Mount, a sort of collection of Jesus' teachings all brought together in one place. And Jesus summarizes this at the end of the sermon, chapter 7, verse 24, if you've got it, of Matthew. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So these words that we are about to read, Jesus is telling us that they are to be the foundations, the bedrock on which we are to build ourselves. So bear that in mind as we go for it. So this is Matthew, chapter 5, verses 21 to 24. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And everyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to brother or sister, raka, which is an Aramaic word, and means I despise you, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. Therefore, if you are offering a gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Should we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you that these are words to build our lives on. Thank you that you speak to us. And thank you, Lord, that you are present here. So come, Holy Spirit, open our eyes and our hearts and our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you might all be very incredibly calm people, or you might be a bit like me. Anger is a pretty common, normal part of life, right? Sort of getting a bit angry with people, a bit frustrated. Maybe it's not, you know, a big blow-up where you throw things and you shout. Maybe it's something smaller, something littler. You know, those times when people annoy you. When someone's, you know, use that last bit of milk and then put the carton back in the fridge. You know, you know those people. I am one of those people. And Jesus tells us that if we are even angry with someone. We are subject to the same level of justice as if we have killed them, as if we have murdered them. Don't know about you, but these words to build our lives on seem pretty harsh. They're hard, aren't they? You know, the other day, Fionn, my wife, and I were driving from here to the Asda superstore in Forward. And as we were driving, we sort of got there, I parked up, and I said, ah, I just need to write down something for this talk. It was the Saint Nick fact incident, fact, incidentally. But we got out, and then Fionn turned to me, and she looked at me, she very earnestly said, honey, that's so good, I'm really glad that you're going to use your road rage as an example of anger. (laughs) I didn't think I had road rage. I thought everyone else was just incompetent. (laughs) But what Jesus' words, the words I am trying to build my life on, is telling me is that in that, what, 10, 15 minutes, every single time someone ran across the road or slowed down a bit too quickly or sped up too quickly or, worst of all, turned without indicating... (laughs) My anger towards them was the equivalent of murder. I don't know how many people that is in that journey. 50? (laughs) Something like that. It's a lot, isn't it? So does that seem right? Does that seem right? Jesus is expecting a lot. He set the bar high. He set the bar incredibly high. So the question is, why? Why is anger so bad? Why does this matter? So, N.T. Wright, the theologian, he says this, anger is dehumanizing. The anger being talked about here is dehumanizing. And that's why it's equivalent to murder. Because it takes a human, takes a person, and turns them into an obstacle into a hindrance, into something in the way, something to get rid of. So yes, you've not literally killed them, but you have mentally, emotionally turned them from what they are into something in your way, in my way. So in that way, it is like murder. So how do we deal with this? What's the antidote to that? We have to remember, then, what people are, what we all are. We have to replace our anger and our hate and our rage, even if it's just a tiny little bit, with the memory of God's love. Because what are people? What are you? What am I? What is every person outside of this building? But the loved child of God, created from his love, held in being from his love, redeemed by his love, Taken to the new kingdom by his love. God's presence is here because of his love. The difference between being a Christian and not a Christian isn't whether or not God loves you, it's whether or not you know it and live by it. So our anger denies this fact. Anger is like calling God a liar, it's like saying, Your love is less important than my hate. And my feeling of frustration in that moment. But it also denies the fact of who we are, right? Because if, if these words are what we are to build our lives on, if Jesus is saying, this is what you need to be, then when we don't do that, we make ourselves less. It dehumanizes ourselves. So it's not just a one-way thing. And the danger, the warning here is that anger... Builds up like a fire until it consumes us bit by bit. So that's why anger is a problem. That's why Jesus is so strong about it here. Because anger is a lie. It lies about who other people are, lies about who we are, and it lies about what God has said, about what God has done. In a way, anger, anger is a bit like porn. Because it dehumanizes everyone. It takes that which is beautiful, which is meaningful, and makes it into an object. So there, we've got our sort of foundation. Why is anger so bad? Why does it matter? Because it dehumanizes everyone. But what does this teach us about God, okay? Because if we're going deeper in the Bible, that doesn't mean we're just staring at a a uh, a mirror for longer we're not just asking questions about our own lives but about who God is what God is doing in this now earlier I said that God has a long nose right so it's biblically true that he has a long nose it's a very weird image but it's not true that he has no nose at all so God gets angry the Bible is full of examples of God getting angry of Jesus getting angry. So the question then is, is he giving us a double standard? Is he saying it's wrong for you to do something, but it's right for me to do something? No surprise. No surprise about what I'm going to say. I don't think he is. (laughs) See, the examples we're talking about in our passage, they're all about how people interact with other people how we treat our friends, our neighbors, our family. They're people-based things. But the times when we're seeing God becoming angry, when we see the tip of his nose get hot, it's not really about people. It's about what they've done, about the systems they build, the injustices they do. See, in Exodus... You could read Exodus, and you could think that God is really angry. I mean, you can find judgment in there, and his love as well. But you definitely see anger. And God expresses his rage at Pharaoh. But even then, it's not at what he, it's at what he has done, not who he is. So, in the famous passage, have you guys seen Prince of Egypt? Great film. In a famous passage in Exodus, Pharaoh and his entire army follow the Israelites across the the Red Sea, and the sea closes in around them. They are swept away because God was angry at them. It's pretty tough, right? What that actually is, it's an echoing of how Pharaoh and his entire army threw the children of the Israelites into the Nile. It's like Pharaoh chooses the system. He says that this is what a human life is worth. That these people are objects. They don't matter, they're just in the way. He says, this is the system I will live in. And God lets that system eat him. He lets the injustice, the cycle, continue until it destroys him as well. Now later in the Gospel we're reading, in Matthew, there's another famous passage. There's another famous passage in which Jesus, you know, one of whose names is the Prince of Peace, okay, bear that in mind, the, literally the Prince of Peace gets so angry with people that he braids a whip and hits them and drives them out of the temple out of the temple court. He overturns the tables that they've been selling animals on and changing money on, and he drives them out. That is not a particularly sort of gentle action, is it? But even then, even in this moment, in which it feels as if Jesus is expressing his anger at people, and he is, and the way he phrases it and the way he does it, it's never about the person. He isn't saying you are bad. He's saying what you've done is bad. As he drives them out, he explains it. He says it is doing it because they have turned a house of prayer into a den of robbers. Again, it's talking about what they have done, not who they are. So do you see the difference here about how God's anger is not at people? It's not at who they are, but what they've done. But our anger is at people. How it dehumanizes, how it takes it away. If you like, actually, I think God's anger is humanizing. It makes us more of what we are because it's a bit like disappointment. It's God saying, that's not who you are. You can be better. You are better. You are my beloved child. You are created in my image. As human anger at people takes that away, it says you are less. So when we read this passage, this passage we are to build our lives on, and we hear that Jesus says that our anger is like murder. That doesn't mean we can just sit idly by. That it is completely wrong to be angry at injustice, angry as people are abused by others, by systems, angry when we see things go wrong. You know, in those instances, we are called to reflect God feel his pain with him, to feel the pain of his children. That's all very well, talking about systems, stuff like that. But in about an hour and a half, an hour, I'm going to go and get my car, which is just up there, and I'm going to drive to the Asda in Forward. And I'm going to get angry. Genuinely, I find it so annoying when people don't indicate. Like, <laughs> just, there's nothing I can do. And you know what? Tomorrow I'm going to drive from my house to here. I'm going to do that 10 times this week. If the weather's bad, I might cycle. Now, you guys might all be the most relaxed drivers in the world. You might have never experienced road rage, it might be a really restful experience. <laughs> Or you've just never driven down New Hall Lane in rush hour. (laughs) Because that is taking your life in your hands. Don't do it. But the chances of any of us staying completely calm and non-frustrated, non-angry, even in a little way over the rest of this day, the rest of this week, the rest of this year, our lives, it's vanishingly small. It's impossible. And more seriously, you know, going away from sort of road rage and stuff like that. We will all be hurt by each other. We will. It's part of life. And we will hurt other people. We will say things we don't mean in the heat of anger. It's part of being human, is making those mistakes. And sometimes we will seriously wound and be wounded by others. So these words, they're hard, aren't they? They're hard to understand when you feel that pain. And Jesus tells us how we are to deal with these moments. How we are to deal with those times when we do hurt each other or we are hurt. Verse 23, 24. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Just go and be, first go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Now Jesus is talking about the altar in the temple in Jerusalem. But the people he's talking to are in Galilee. 150 miles away. And these people, every couple of times a year, they would go 150 miles to Jerusalem, to the temple, for various religious festivals. You read about them, they're all over the Bible. Now that is about a five-day walk through the desert. And Jesus is saying that that forgiveness and reconciliation is so important that even if you have just travelled five days with your entire family, with your screaming children, you've just bought an animal to sacrifice to God, what you need to do, if anyone is angry with you, is put the animal down on the steps, take your entire family back through the desert for five days, say sorry, come back five more days, and then you've got to pray that the animal is still there, or else you've got to buy it again. Or, You do it quickly. You do it fast. You do it in the moment. You don't let it build. You deal with your anger. You diffuse the situations. And you do it humbly. You do it quickly and humbly. But again, I mean, that is hard, right? I've said it before. I love to stew, I am a sulker. Like, absolutely cast iron. It's one of my greatest flaws. Never wrong me, or else I'll still be mildly annoyed at you in 10 years' time, okay? And this is a great target. To be that sort of emotionally aware, emotionally healthy, to in the midst of, you know, when you're really angry with someone, or even just a little bit, to know that you need to deal with it. It's a great target. I could not do that. I've got to set the bar really high here. And sometimes in church, does it ever feel like you're being asked to do the impossible? Asked to do something you can't? I've got a picture I want to show you. This is something called the Fosbury Flop. And it is by far and away the most efficient way to get over a high jump. By far and away, this is how every Olympian does the high jump. You sort of turn your back on the bar as you jump over, so that your center of gravity like arcs you over, rather than like your legs or your arms hitting it. This Fosbury flop revolutionized the sport. No one does it any other way. Sometimes church can feel like that. Like you're being asked to learn some new technique, some new thing, some way of dealing with challenges. You know, we just need to pray more. We need to be more disciplined. We need to get up earlier, work harder. And don't get me wrong, we do need to pray more. We do need to be more disciplined. We do need to earnestly pursue Jesus. the truth of the Christian faith is more like this image which is about to come up in a second it's more like this image it's much less dignified it's much less powerful much less impressive much less important we are much more loved. We are loved so much that God can carry us over that line, that he can carry us over that bar. And like I said, I'm not saying that we don't need to do work, that we don't need to examine our inner lives, that we don't need to pray ceaselessly, that sometimes we don't need to be more disciplined. But I'm saying the beauty is that we don't do that alone. We do that by being carried by Jesus. And it will take us to the places that we wouldn't go alone, to the bits of our hearts, to the bits of our lives, where we are ashamed, or we struggle. Jesus will take us there Do you know, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. There's always a moment where I wish my memory worked and I could just like reel off the exact verse. But I think it's in Corinthians when Paul says that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. That there is no power on hell, below, on earth, or in heaven that can separate us from the love of God there is no hurt there is no action no shame that is beyond him that can separate us from the love of God so how how do we build our lives on these words if anger is like murder how do we do this It's all been nice, but what does it actually mean? And in the end, in the end, I actually think it's quite simple. In the end, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, perfecter of our faith, and we know that the tighter we cling to him, the more we form our lives around him, the deeper in his presence we go. And the deeper into our hearts and our lives, egos. The more we look to him, the more he fills us. So that as that, that feeling of anger, of rage, starts to bubble up to consume us, Jesus is already there to diffuse it. The more we cling to him, the more we are shaped by him, the more he fills us. But Jesus gives us some hard words to build our lives on. Hard but true. But he also says this. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect through weakness. Now I'm a weak person. I think most of us are. But when his power is made perfect through that, Sometimes that's okay. It's okay to need him, to be carried by him. I'm going to invite the band to come up. But why don't we all stand? Thanks for listening. Follow us on social media. See you next week.